All right, welcome back to another episode of the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is an award-winning director and producer with 20 years of experience working in broadcast and corporate video production. As a director, he learned to manage people in a way that inspires them to achieve a positive outcome. And as a producer, he has conducted over 5,000 on-camera interviews, which has given him a breadth and depth understanding of the human condition. Learning how to communicate with another person in a genuine way allowed him to get to the heart of people and their why. And so today with 27 Telly Awards, three Case Education Awards, and one Emmy Award, the drive to find interesting stories and share them with the world has led him to where he is today. And so I cannot wait for him to share the rest of his journey that brought him into our world of cannabis. And so without further ado, Ryan McKeever, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is awesome. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, thanks so much. Ryan, thank you so much. You've got, man, you've got a lot going on. And when you and I were speaking just a, a little while ago off camera, I mean, the, you know, no pun intended, but the journey or just the path that you embarked on, right? When you first took interest in cannabis and hemp, I, I feel like what you envisioned is totally different from the situation that you're in right now. Oh my god. So if you could just kind of take us yeah, if you could just kind of take us back to like step 1 or or that first um that first little like blitz that you took into the industry mm -hmm. and kind of how you got to where you're at today and, and what you're mostly involved in. That'd be a great place for us to yeah, start. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it all started rewind the clock back to October 2019. And this is the western side of Colorado. So we're talking about Grand Junction, the western slope of Colorado, known as the Grand Valley. And uh, I had just finished up a documentary project here, local documentary project. And I really neglected to film my pipeline with anything else to do. And so mm. I honestly thought this one project that I was just finishing up was going to be a, you know, a big hit and uh, go on to Netflix or whatever it was. And, and, you know, I didn't need to worry about continuing with my commercial or corporate world. So the problem was I, you know, human nature, right? Um, the other person involved uh, had some situations with his business and we ended up having to walk away from the documentary unfinished. Um, but then I was like, okay, here we are, October, 2019. I have nothing going on. I have no projects. I, you know, I have nothing. And I, here I am newly moved to uh, the Western side of Colorado. I'm originally from Indiana and I lived in Indianapolis for 20 years. That's where I had my business and did all my, my directing and, and producing from. And so I moved out here, got remarried a few years ago and did not have the same connections here. A lot of my clients back in Indiana, you know, they stayed back there and in the Midwest, they just chose to use different agencies and not have us travel back there. So, so it really was a shocker to me to have this documentary immediately evaporate and then I had nothing left. And, you know, what I did have was um, an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I have been an entrepreneur for my whole life. I grew up on a farm and I, the only real job I had was in, uh, the only real job I say was in high school, uh, mm -hmm. working at Dairy Queen. Um, so, you know, I've always worked for myself, always had ideas that I've acted on, um, all based around video production and storytelling. So I had done a project in 2014 for Discovery Health featuring Charlotte's Web. And those guys in on the front range of Colorado, and they have an amazing product in their own in its own right. I think it's the first product that is um, patented and approved by the FDA for medicinal use uh, through pharmaceuticals. And the rest of the industry is going to catch up to that. But that's really how I got into this was doing an interview um, with the Charlotte Web guys back in 2014. So. I knew a little bit about that industry. I knew that I believed in CBD from that story years ago. And my wife had a 10 acre farm here in Grand Junction, Colorado. Actually it's in Clifton, but you know, it's all kind of one big city. And so I knew that just doing a little research, I knew 
the price of hemp at the time and what we're talking about is CBD hemp. So it's not hemp for textiles or grain or fiber or anything or hemp creed or whatever. This is hemp for medicine. This is CBD hemp created for CBD extraction, which will then be used as medicine for people. So I knew the price of CBD biomass, which is what CBD is extracted from, was around 25, 30 bucks a pound, right? Uh, when it all kind of averaged out. At that point in time, they had a point system. So you got paid a dollar amount per percentage point of your CBD in your plant, which is kind of a cool way to do it. You know, it rewarded the the growers who were able to yield more, you know, more effective plants. Um, but quickly the market collapsed from that point. Uh, 2019, it's infamous now because everyone refers to it as the infamous harvest of 2019, because at that point, the year before 2018, prices were $40, $50 a pound. And so when you're thinking about a five acre field or a 10 acre field, you can fit 2000 plants per acre comfortably, right? And each of those plants could yield between one and four or sometimes even five pounds. So you're, your field that is five acres could be worth six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. This was 2018. So fast forward one year, everybody and their brother decided to become a hemp farmer. So you had this unprecedented amount of people that were all thinking they were going to cash in on this million dollar crop. And the interesting thing is it does not take much hemp biomass to produce one liter of CBD oil usually kind of the rule of thumb is between 24 and 36 pounds of biomass will yield one liter of CBD oil. And sometimes, you know, that's one or two plants. If you've got some monsters in your field and then you think about that, okay, we've got 10,000 plants potentially in our field. We have a lot of oil, right? And that's really what happened was 2019, everybody was growing CBD hemp. And then the harvest of 2019 happened and you have this amazing surplus of CBD oil. So that right there, so that's November, December, January of 2019, 2000, early 2020. So prices went from, in the span of maybe four months, they went from $25 a pound, cut in half and then cut in half again. Uh, it's just crazy. And then COVID hit. Right. So then you're looking at yeah. prices that went from five to eight dollars a pound to one seventy five, one fifty, one dollar. And they're still hovering around that. You know, here we are a year and a half later. They're still hovering around eighty five cents a pound, one dollar a pound. When just four years ago, you're looking at forty to sixty dollars a pound. So, I mean, when you think about the farmer having five dollars a pound in costs, selling it for $1 a pound doesn't make any sense. So with this huge surplus of CBD oil in the industry, um, you know, we're talking about now winter of 2019, 2020, this huge surplus collapsing the market. And, um, you know, that's kind of where we are today. So originally the reason to go into it was we've got five acres. I have nothing else to do, no projects. Here it is at $25, $20 a pound, October 2019. We can, we can maybe make $200,000, $300,000 off that field. And I had partnered up with a genetics guy. So one of the major growers in our county had released one of their main genetics guys. So this guy was in charge of sexing females. So basically what, what you do is if you have a genetic that you really like, you've got, you know, this unicorn that is, you know, your pheno that you want to represent for your genetic line, take that mother plant and you basically convert her into a male, right? So you are sexing your plant from a female to a male. You are thereby capturing the genetics of that plant in pollen. So then you have, you know, a, a genetic replica that you can then spread that pollen to your other female plants of the same genetic type. So you flower your female plants and then cross the pollen with the female plants. And then you hit, it's called a seed, seed run. So basically you make a seed run, 
So he knew how to do that. He knew how to do genetics with, with plants. So then not only could we make money off of the field, and I, I point like this because the field is literally right through that window. So not only are we uh, able to make money off the biomass at $25, $20 a pound, so we thought, we can then also make money off of our genetics guy who has the ability to create seeds for us, which then we can sell for a dollar a seed. And to give you an idea of you know, the volume of seeds that you can produce, we had about 150 plants that we seeded. Okay, with our, so you're, what we're creating is a feminized hemp seed. Uh, basically, we are guaranteeing that this seed is our genetic line that we've created, and it is over 99% female. So we don't have any pop-up males, which is what happens in industrial hemp. You know, a lot of the times you have males dominating like 10, 15% of your crop or more, and then everything gets seeded. But that's what they want in industrial hemp. We do not want that unless we're doing a seed run where we can actually control our genetic line. So you can get between, I think the number was like 1,500 to 2,500 seeds per plant. And that was, you know, our goal. So we had 150 plants that we were involving in our seed project. And the goal was to get between 200,000 and 400,000 seeds out of that. That's where one of our major storylines comes in is we had a huge issue because we did all this in a barn that was built in 1943 for peaches and it hadn't been used in 20 years. So first of all, we had to clean it all out, get it, you know, I mean, get rid of all the mites and the, or the, the mice and all the bugs and do all that stuff, seal it up with plastic, um, put in 24 grow lights, create three different rooms uh, with floating walls, you know, that kind of thing, make it temperature controlled, humidity controlled, uh, as best we could, you know, it's a 1943 barn. So the wood shrinks, you know, so there's a lot of gaps. Um, but that becomes one of our major storylines because we had, and it actually resulted in the falling out of our partnership with my genetics guy and uh, the guy that introduced us. Um, and I've salvaged those relationships because that's really what's important to me is the community and the friendships. And, you know, it's not a big money chase for me. It really started as, okay, I have nothing to do. We can make money in this doing it this way. And then also this is about CBD. It's all about the CBD baby. Like I believe in that, you know, hundred percent. Um, everyone in my family takes CBD, including our dogs and the cats don't really want to take it, but you know, so, um, mm -hmm. so the seed project in the, in the barn was this, you know, source of major, major frustration for us. We ended up having a spider mite infestation when we were trapped in Florida during COVID we were, my wife and I were in Florida visiting her grandma um, the week that COVID hit in the US. And so we got trapped there another week because the flights were all canceled, uh, which is part of our story. I mean, that's all, the, that's all in camera. Um, we had a situation where the, our partners didn't show up to tend to the plants and apparently we had spider mites and they weren't taken care of. And so by the time I got back from Florida, we had this New York city of spider mites, like literally, I mean, it would, I mean, I still get goosebumps on my arms right now because I'm talking about this. Um, you're not supposed to be able to see spider mites with the naked eye. <laughs> they're tiny, you know, they're like the size of a pinhead. So to actually walk in the room and to look at these plants and have it look like arachnophobia, I mean, where the, where the plants were, it looked like a white umbrella, right? That's how many mites there were. And as you would get closer, you'd look at the plant and there were so many spider mites on these plants, they would drip off in what looked like big clumps of water. It looked like water and then they would like splatter on the ground and you're like, holy crap, like what has happened here? So a lot of our plants got ruined because of the spider mite infestation. Um, but, you know, to answer your original question, that's how it all started was I thought we could make some money on the field at the same time, helping people with CBD. And then to double that up, I thought we could make money on the uh, seed project using our barn that was being used for nothing. So that's really where it started. And then it morphed into, okay, 
I have a production company. I own all of these pieces of equipment that are not being used or sitting in the closet, like $30,000 cameras and, you know, lights and four sets of audio equipment that, you know, are all professional. So then it became, all right, well, as a backup to the backup, let's make a documentary about this and film our journey. So I fired up the old intern machine and got with the county and created an internship program with the county and then went to the Colorado Mesa University and created an internship program there, which is something I'm very familiar with. Uh, I created a program through my alma mater uh, for my company in Indiana. So we would have anywhere between three and five interns a year trying to show them what the real world of video production was like. So I just duplicated that here and found a set of just fantastic people that really are talented surprisingly like i really was surprised that I, that the, that level of talent is here in grand junction it's it's amazing and i was just so blessed to really um meet a few of these interns that really helped us out filming because being in the business for 20 years i have a certain quality standard and you know sometimes you never know what you're going to get with internship level um, experience. And I tell you, these kids, they plugged right in and totally achieved everything we were trying to do. So without them, this wouldn't have happened. And without the partnerships and friendships that I've made throughout the last two years or two years plus in this industry, none of this, none of this would have happened. It's just the, you know, the ability of people to go outside their comfort zone to share their life with you, whether it's good or bad, you know, the situation that they're in. And I just feel blessed to have had the cameras rolling for this whole time and be a, you know, kind of in some situations, a fly on the wall in other situations, a very active participant. So it's been, the, the journey is ongoing, man. I mean, since we've talked last and sorry to keep taking so much time. Am I, you fire away any questions you have this is perfect. okay cool. this is perfect man because i'm just i'm like when you said that you had the chills when you walked into the into the barn and you saw the spider mites i was like I, I was blown away with the way you were describing it but then literally a couple moments later i started getting the chills when you were saying how they were just dripping crazy. down like what it's just it's mind it's crazy just wait because then of course it's all filmed you know, just, wait, just wait it's yeah. crazy crazy shit i mean and i literally went went yeah. crazy during this whole thing. Like I, I have goosebumps again because of kind of the maddening experience that I had. We hadn't even got to the part where I pulled a gun on um, guys that were stealing our hemp plants. So that's a whole nother story. Like I live on the second busiest road in Palisade. Basically there's only two ways to get into Palisade, uh, Colorado, which is famous for peaches and vineyards and, you know, wineries and that kind of thing. It's like the Napa Valley of Colorado two ways to get in there, I-70 and F Road. F Road is right through that window right there. So we have a massive amount of traffic driving by our hemp field. Well, I was so excited when the plants started getting six, seven, eight feet tall and then started flowering into colas that are like, you know, that big around and, you know, like five, six inches around and like, you know, three feet long. I mean, these things are monsters. And I was so happy to see all that. And the problem was, you realize in one split moment that everybody else has been watching your field too. And the re and the reason that you realize it in one moment is because when I was out there one day and I was with my camera and like, you know, taking photos of the plants, I get to a spot where there's, you know, seven footers and you're like, wait a second, why is there a broken handle handle of a saw right there? And where did that, coke can come from and then you look up and you start looking around and you've got 40 plants missing and you're like oh shit everyone else is watching this field too so then you have a whole different then your mind is screwed then you're like okay i've worked a year on this thing how dare these little assholes you know like i'm gonna stake this thing out so bought a tent set up a tent in the middle of the field bought nine lanterns, put lanterns all over the place, started patrolling the hemp field from 10 o'clock at night until four in the morning, ended up catching a guy, which is a whole nother story, pulling the gun on him. Um, it, he wasn't, I mean, that's a, that's a long story, but he wasn't the guy that was stealing the plants. 
apparently he was just some local drunk that was walking down from the bars, which are right down the road and happened to walk in our hemp field looking for a place to sleep. And he's lucky. He's really lucky that I couldn't see him because I thought he was talking to somebody else because, but he was talking to himself and I, it took me like 15 minutes to get over to him. Cause I, I heard him talking to somebody and I, and I kept hearing like yeah, over here, Oh, over there. It's a good one over, over here. You know, like stuff like that. And I'm like ninja style. Literally I've got full black on, you know, I've got bear yeah. spray on my left, my nine on my right, a baton, big old light. And I'm like sneaking through the hemp field, listening to this conversation and not knowing how many people are there. Right. So I'm freaking out. So I get my wife on the phone. She gets 911 on the phone and they, uh, they're talking to me. 911. I'm like, there are people in my hemp field. And so they all of a sudden, you know, this guy makes some noise and literally I light him up while I put my phone down, light him up, draw my gun and just start yelling at him, like, stay there, you know? And, and he, you could only see like a little bit of him. He dropped kind of like he was on fire, you know, like drop and roll. And he dropped and rolled into our irrigation ditch, which is like this big open V shaped ditch that you can like crawl in, you know, if you're an army crawler. And so he disappeared into the ditch. And so then I picked the phone back up and I'm like, I got the guy, you know, he's right here and all this stuff, but I can't see him. So within like 30 seconds, I hear the police right down the road, you know, all the vehicles, like all you hear is, you know, the engine just screaming. And then they flip the lights on and flip the sirens on. And I'm like, they're going to see me right in the field. I'm right by the road. They go flying by. They're like not looking. They didn't realize it was so close, you know, and they go literally go flying by. There's like four of them and they didn't make it back for like five more minutes. The first people on site were the police or the uh, fire firemen. So the fireman guy pulls his engine up. I'm flashing at him, pulls his engine up like right in front of this tree by the road, gets out. And I'm yelling at him like, no, no, don't get out there. The guy is right there because the guy dropped in the ditch right there. So he's like walking closer to where the guy is like, what? I can't hear you. Cause his engine was on, you know, and all this stuff. And anyway, it ended up working out. Luckily he got, he wasn't dangerous. Luckily I didn't shoot him. You know, a lot of things worked in our favor. It could have gone very differently, but it wasn't the guy who was stealing our plants and the theft kept happening over and over and over again. And they were like watching me. You could tell that they were around and watching me. And as soon as I would leave, they'd steal plants. So we had probably 200 plants stolen um, that were, I mean, monster plants. And I even involved the police. I got detectives out there. They took the Coke can. They took the, uh, they took some other things that they had left on different occasions, a chip, like a chip bag or whatever. They were out there for hours. And, um, you know, they said they were going to do like the DNA testing on the saliva and all that stuff. But, you know, they were just kind of, they were, at least they were supportive. You know, I'm a hemp farmer. It's not like I'm, mm. you know, I mean, they could, they could have had a different opinion about, you know, what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And so it was good to, good to at least see some activity on the law enforcement side, like supporting what we're trying to do, you know, for CBD as medicine. So that was really cool for the local police to be involved in that. And unfortunately, I wasn't the only farm that was targeted for this. So apparently what happens is because it's legal to grow medical marijuana for yourself here in this County and in Colorado in general, uh, that's another story though. Um, you can't grow, you can't grow marijuana here. You can't cultivate marijuana here. It's not legal to do that because it's County by County can pass ordinances. And so we don't have any dispensaries in our town or County and we don't have any cultivation. Um, outdoor cultivation. So, so it was kind of crazy because the, uh, the police guys were telling me um, that there's a group of late teen, early 20 somethings that scope out all of the backyard marijuana grows for like medicinal marijuana, the people that do their own uh, grows here, which we don't do. We're strictly hemp, but um, so then they, they steal all of the medical marijuana grows that they can, right? And then they go around to the best hemp fields they can find, which happen to be ours, one of ours, and they steal all the best plants they can find. And then they 
combine the hemp and the marijuana, and then they sell it in other states for between two and three thousand dollars a pound. Wow. And so I'm over here slaving my ass off, you know, for one what I thought was twenty dollars a pound, you know, and these guys are coming in here and ripping me off and combining it with weed that they've ripped off and selling it for two thousand dollars a pound or more. I mean, it really kind of, you know, gets under your skin. So I anticipate that happening again this year. I mean, it's literally right through that wall right there where the field is. So um, the fortunate thing about my situation is that I'm not growing hemp this year. I've rented the uh, field out to Wacy Clark, who is the guy that's, uh, he's a good friend now. I mean, he's a, he's a salt of the earth human being, great heart, um, you know, just a good family man. And that's really, he's a great leader. He's a great leader for our industry. Uh, on the CBD side of hemp, he's been in it since the very beginning and he's seen a lot of success. And, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes uh, there are things you can't control market price and, you know, bad actors who are in this space, like the company I'll talk about here in a little bit. I won't name them, but, um, you know, there's just some honest people and honest companies. And then there's dishonest people and dishonest companies. One of the unfortunate things that I've also found about being in this industry is that there's a lot of hangover from, I guess, the black market weed days or the black market hemp days. And so we're in kind of a weed out period right now. You know, we're, we're at a point where the market has no choice but to self-regulate. Um, dosages are all over the place. We're talking about CBD. So, I mean, you could get a tincture out of a gas station with 200 milligrams in it, which will absolutely do nothing for you. And then you can buy a tincture with, you know, 1500 milligrams from a farmer or from a reputable extraction company or a brand that does know what they're doing. So we have a lot of like, you know, misinformation. It seems like with every area of our life now, but we have a lot of misinformation out there with, um, you know, how much CBD should be in a product. And the answer is the more, the better. 200 milligrams isn't going to do anything for you. 500 milligrams is not going to do much. You know, you need a thousand milligrams or more consistent usage, you know, over the course of a month to see how it does for you. And it, and everybody's different. You know, I could go down that road for another hour, but um, so yeah, the, the people that are really suffering are the farmers because of this, uh, you know, the pricing where it's at now, the guys that own the big brands, they're not suffering. There's nothing has changed on the customer price point, right? It's still 40, 60, 90 bucks. You're dropping just like you're paying for real medicine out of a pharmaceutical company. And it is real medicine. It's just not treated that way by the, you know, medical industry yet. It's getting there though. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's a lot of facets to this whole thing. And, um, you know, I don't know where I was at there, but you know, a lot, a lot going on, a lot going on. Yes. Yeah. So one of the cool things about all of this, and there's obviously, I mean, this is a roller coaster, like the way you described it, right? There's, there's highs, there lo there's lows, you get pumped because you start to see, you know, your plants finally coming around full circle, big, beautiful, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and just kind of, you know, takes you out by the knees and that's what you go through, right? But one of the cool things about all of this on the, on, on a brighter note is that your cameras were rolling the whole time. Yes. And so can you, um, and I, I know you probably can't talk too much about this, but could you just shed a little bit of light on the really cool TV series that you're yeah. working on right now and what people can kind of look forward to in the near future? Absolutely. <clears throat> so back to, back to the show, right? Um, it originally started out as a documentary. Um, and I didn't know where it was going to go, but throughout the course of filming, it became clear that the amount of amazing stories that we had, I mean, there, there are so many cool people and people that are very deserving and um, just great human beings that our society needs to hear from. I mean, they need to hear mm -hmm. these stories because we are receiving 
just negativity all across the board, you know, and you have to like seek out the good stuff, you know, when it should be the other way around, like it, we should be filled with goodness. And then there could be a little bit of bad over here, but it's, you know, we've got some work to do in our country, but um, the name of the show is hemp Valley, Colorado. And I mean, it makes me so proud to say that because it totally describes what the first season is. It is the trials and tribulations of CBD hemp farming in the Western slope of Colorado. And I'm calling it the Hemp Valley. I've, I've never heard it called that before, but Hemp Valley, Colorado. And we are literally right around the corner from pitching this thing to all of the major streaming, streaming services and networks. I mean, it's within three weeks from now. I went out to LA last week actually and finished our pilot uh, for a couple of days of just some intense editing and, you know, making sure the story is right and just getting everything in line. So they, the edit team out in LA right now is finishing up the audio mix, the coloring, um, all that kind of stuff, you know, the transitions and that kind of thing. So, and, and this is crazy because I know this world, like my world is more video and editing and that kind of thing than it, than it was hemp farming. But I feel like I've become an expert in hemp, hemp farming as well. I mean, I could, walk you through any part of that industry but um so the tv show morphed from a documentary into a tv show is going to be uh six episodes um i mean we can make it 10 but it right off the bat we want to get this thing out as quick as possible so we're going to make it six episodes and we've had a lot of interest we've had a lot of not me but my our executive producer has fielded a lot of uh, response and phone calls from from folks that are thinking the same thing that we are. And that is um, people want to see, I mean, they're fascinated by this industry, right? And with everything that's happening in the cannabis world, we all know that marijuana is going to be legal in the next few years. Um, that's a whole other conversation that I could have. Um, mm -hmm. It's either going to be legal within the next two years, or it will be used as a political reelection tool within four years. So let's hope it's not going to take four years, but, Bottom line is it will be legal within four years or right thereafter, depending on, you know, what happens with the election. So it's coming. And, and the reason that it's coming is maybe not what you think. Um, it really has nothing to do with medicine or, you know, any of that type of stuff. It has everything to do with taxes. Um, we are in the same position right now that we were right after the Great Depression. We are absolutely broke. And we were throwing trillions of dollars around like it's candy. And so what did we do back in the early 30s? We removed prohibition of alcohol. Okay. That is happening right now. So behind the scenes, people are talking. And, you know, I know these people and I know what they're saying. <laughs> and so um, it will happen. It just needs to be structured from the government side of things. Because once you open that floodgate, pharmaceuticals will be all over it. You know, then, of course, it, it feeds into that cycle of physician, insurance, pharmacy. And then you're then you've, you know, created this whole new uh, dynamic in our country. So um, another cool thing is just two years ago, I believe it could be three years ago. I might be off a year. There were there. OK, so two years ago, there was only one clinical trial being done with CBD or a derivative thereof. The last year, there was over 31 clinical trials being done with CBD or a derivative of. So, so cool to see where this is going and to be in the midst of it and telling these stories with a camera and also, you know, relating to them and connecting to them as people and as friends. And that's the most important thing to me is, you know, this is a community effort, right? It's not one person or it's not like one big company that's like leading the charge here. These people that are in this industry right now are in the trenches. They are writing the playbook. They are leading the charge on what should happen at the government level. So they are the ones offering the suggestions to the government, which is fantastic. It's ex exactly what we need, right? Um, so it's just taking taking time to get there. Uh, but that's that's where this is all going. And the cameras are rolling on all this. Um, so if you think about season one as a self-contained show, um, Hemp Valley, Colorado, really just focusing in on the Western slope or 
there's some other folks that are just up the road in Colorado that we really focus in on their stories. Um, it, and so it's like, you know, seeds in the ground, it's boots on the ground type of camera work. Um, so think of like back in the day when, when we had those like embedded combat footage, you know, scenarios from like the early Iraq war or whatever, you know, it's a lot like that. It's Ryan hemp farmer, farmer running around with a $30,000 camera, you know, filming things yeah. in a cinematic way. And then also being very frustrated with the hemp industry and being a hemp farmer and all the things that go with it. So if you think about season one as hemp farming, extractors, patients of CBD, that type of thing, at the end of season one, we are then bridging the gap into CBD and THC and then also industrial hemp. So we're bringing in uh, THC and industrial hemp in season two. And so if you can imagine, I've self-funded this entire operation for the past 18 months, and it has taken every dime that I've had um every dime i've got nothing left <laughs> so the damn thing better sell <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean um that's where i'm at with the show is like we are we, we have something special here and i equate it to a documentary that won the academy award i'm not saying it's that i'm just saying it it follows the same type of unfolding in real time with the cameras rolling type of thing as icarus i'm not sure if you've seen icarus um, it was the documentary where this guy named Brian Fogel, uh, was kind of an amateur cyclist and he wanted to see if he did a massive amount of like doping, if he could win and compete with the big boys in cycling, you know? So the journey in the first part of time in the documentary was about him doping and becoming a better cyclist or not. I think there's some interesting finds there, but then in order to get to that point, he contacted this doping specialist out of Russia. And then the story became about this scientist guy who's this, you know, expert doping specialist. And that uncovered the entire fraud that was the uh, Russian Olympic program. So he, this documentary uncovered the Russian Olympic um, cheating scandal with, uh, you know, all the steroids and whatever they were using, the PEDs. And that's why that particular documentary and this Brian guy and the scientist is the reason that Russia cannot compete as a country in this Olympics or the last one. So, so that's the kind of story that we're on right now is this Icarus level documentary style story, but we've made it into an episodic TV series because it takes place over the course of many years. Um, starting out as hemp farming, going into THC. Now we're into talking with the legislators. We're going to be doing some interviews on Capitol Hill, um, doing a lot of stuff in Miami, Florida. Miami is becoming like the biggest place for cannabis in our country. Um, as we all know from, you know, I'm sure you've heard about it or seen about it on the news. People are exiting uh, states that are very restrictive, like California. They are getting out of there as fast as possible. And they're going to Texas or Florida and Florida is where it's at. They, we are, uh, we are, we as in our TV show, and you know me personally are just fortunate to be welcomed into that community. And in the state of Florida, I mean, they've been, they have been absolutely fantastic in allowing us access um, to this, to the ongoing efforts of you know uh, legislators and and people in the the hemp world or cannabis world in Florida. So, so we're going to be doing a lot in Florida um, in season two with a lot of industry kingpins. I mean, well, let's not call them kingpins. I'd say, um, industry, industry <laughs> Kings, right. I mean, these guys have come up from like, you know, the early days of, of marijuana specifically, and have been in the industry for 10, 12, 13 years. And so they know from, you know, the ground level, but these guys are smart. I mean, they are, they are on top of it. It's not like they're potheads sitting around smoking weed and playing video games. I mean, they are high level thinkers. They have some amazing, amazing ideas. Um, and they have capitalized big time on those ideas, tens of millions of dollars in exiting strategies from their companies and then on to the next thing. Right. So we are fortunate to be following them and their journey, um, kind of seeing how we fit into that puzzle with our show and, you know, just where they are taking, you know, their future, within this industry 
And those are guys on the entrepreneur side. And then what's cool is we're always coming back. We're always coming back to the root of our show, which is the Western side of Colorado. We, we, we have a heart for this place. Um, these people are growing CBD for the right reasons. And for them, it's all about the CBD. They are all in on CBD. Um, and I'm specifically talking about Colorado Hemp Solutions and Wacy Clark and his wife, Alex. They have been a godsend to us and to our farm and our mission here. Um, <clears throat> without them being involved in the show in the very beginning, it would have not happened. They have been so open and so welcoming to us. So for us, it's about the community that we're creating. Me trying to bridge the gap between, okay, I know this guy from this extraction company. I know this company over here needs a great extracted product. You know, trying to connect the dots, trying to help all these people who we've, who we've made friends with. And it's kind of crazy. It's just like, kind of like the Truman show, you know, where we're, we're going, I'm living my normal life, right. Which is this connection and, you know, trying to connect people and live a positive forward, positive mentality life and trying to be that guy and, you know, be that bright light to other people. And, um, the whole time it's being filmed and I'm the one that's consciously making it being filmed, you know? So it's, it's weird, you know, it's almost like a thinking in double personality kind of thing. Like I got to do this thing for this set of things. And then I got to do this for the filming. And, you know, so it's kind of crazy, but we're always coming back to the Western side of Colorado. Uh, we've always got, you know, cameras here on our farm that were, that we're rolling. So we're trying to cut down on the footage because me with a camera is dangerous. <laughs> I love filming and um, I love storytelling. That's what I've done for my whole life. And so we had 800 hours of footage, if you can imagine that, just for season one. We have 97 days of filming, like 90, like 97 days of filming. Come on. <laughs> and so, you know, it is, uh, it is a monumental task to um, edit this thing together in a way that is effective uh, for the community. You know, that's what this is all about is eyeballs on the TV show, raising awareness for CBD, the people that are involved in it, like who are these people? And then of course, you know, bridging the gap later on in the season to uh, season two. So that's bonkers. Total bonkers I dude. mean, just being able to like put all of this together. And one of the cool things too, I just wanted to point out, um, like the fact, the fact that you're, you're, you're capturing history, right? Sure. And you're making it consumable and understandable for a lot of folks, not just from the cannabis perspective though, but it just so happened to be that like during this time that you're running around with the camera and you're catching everything on film. I mean, you've got things in there about, you know, marijuana, CBD, um, from the entrepreneurial standpoint. And on top of it, I mean, as you were going through all of this, like we're all going through a pandemic. And now on top of it, like we're experiencing huge shifts as far as like exoduses from, from different states right. and just like you alluded to. So it's like, this isn't, this isn't just gonna capture one piece of history. Mm -hmm. Like this is gonna capture so many different facets of what we've been going through over the last three, four or five years. Oh yeah. Um, it just, it gives me chills. Bro, let me tell it, you, man. But let me tell you this. So when we were, <laughs> To give you an idea of like how historical this is, and this is not anything to do with cannabis, but when we were trapped in Florida, right? We were there in Miami, like kind of crazy, you know, um, we were, and all this is filmed. So, you know, we were part of like what the news called that super spreader event or whatever. So my wife and I are, because COVID closed everything down. So we took our paddle boards out. My uh, mom lives in Pompano beach. So we took our paddle boards to, amazing like state park and did all these like um paddleboard through the mangrove forest kind of thing you know if you're on a little river but you can't see the sky because the mangroves are over you so we end up coming out of the mangrove forest and like go through this little tunnel and you you come out into miami harbor we had no idea so we start hearing this like thumping music, you know, and thumping music and bass. And we're like, what in the world? So we look over there and literally there's like a thousand boats on a sandbar. It's called Hallover Sandbar. And we were like, we're going there, <laughs> you know, because I mean, <laughs> the world is freaking out. Right. And we're just like trying to get out and have some sort of like outdoor experience and not be trapped to TVs and all the craziness. Right. Okay. So so that's why we were there. 
so we paddle over there and it's just, you know, I'm sure you know what food trucks are, right? They're everywhere. So at this particular location, they have food barges. So there's all these different kinds of foods and drinks and stuff that people just pull up with their food barge and they have signs and menus and, you know, put anchor down. And it's literally like two so, feet deep, two, three feet deep. Right. So there's all, there's a thousand people there and we're all just having a good time. We're playing football with all these people and you know, whatever. And I'm filming the whole thing. Right. So this is on, I believe March 17th around that time frame, March 18th. I mean, I can remember every day from our filming every, every single day, I can tell you exactly what happened. And so, um, so we're filming doing that. We get back into the house, you know, that night. And of course the news is like the Miami super spreader event, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if we could see us down there. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy, but what happened? And then of course we got COVID and we were freaking knocked down. I mean, we got it from that situation for sure. And we were down for the count, like probably a good five days. And then, um, you know, when they opened up the airlines, like I, you know, a week and a half later or whatever the time frame was, um, I went, I tried to get home. Right. I, I was like the only person on the airplane and I had to go from Miami to Dulles international airport, then to, Indianapolis International Airport and then to Denver International Airport before I got home. And I filmed in each one of those locations uh, with my iPhone. And you want to see some crazy historical stuff like walking through Dulles International Airport when there is zero people there. The only guy that I saw was like the police guy on the bike that was like, passing me. Of course, there's some workers, you know, that are in the, like Dunkin' Donuts or whatever yeah. that hasn't shut down yet, but no one was there. No one. And so I'm like filming myself and crying to the camera, like talking about how this, you know, could be what it looks like after humans are gone. You know, like this is what it's going to look like before nature takes it back. You know, it's crazy, it's crazy, man. And I did the same thing in Denver and like imagine Denver airport with no one in it. I mean, it was nuts. I got chills too. Nuts so, And so all that's on camera. All the while that was happening, we had the spider mite infestation going on in our barn. <laughs> so you can see why I lost my mind. It was crazy, man. I think anybody. Yeah, would. it was absolutely nuts. So that's wild, mm -hmm. man. So when can we, is there like, are you shooting for like, you know, fall, winter of this year? Yeah. When? Cause I'm, I'm juiced now. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I can't Sweet, wait. To, to I'm excited it. to, to share it. It is like, I feel like this is the most important project of my life, you know? Um, <clears throat> so we're going to finish the, they're finishing the pilot. They are supposed to have the pilot to us by next Wednesday, Thursday. We are then, you have to have a pitch deck. It's like you're, you know, pitching investors for money kind of thing. You know, you're pitching your idea. So we then the pitch decks done. Uh, we just have to get some final graphics on that. So we are ready to pitch a week from today or a week from yeah today. So it's going to take some time to set up those meetings. That's my executive producer's job. So we're probably looking at like three weeks away from pitching to the big dogs. And then who knows what kind of time frame that will give us. I'm not sure, but we are looking at probably a four month edit time uh, for the rest of the episodes, which, which is all ready to rock and roll. We just need we just need the green light and then, you know, that green switch goes on and then the edit teams go to work. So uh, we are probably looking at, which would be perfect timing. I mean, if whoever picks it up is thinking like branding wise and promotion wise, whether it's on a prime time slot, you know, on one of the amazing cable channels or a, you know, prime time like feature on one of the streaming services, I would think this will come out like around, I would think around between um, Thanksgiving and, and New Year's, honestly, is what I'm hoping for, because that's the time frame when everyone's going to be inside and we want everybody to watch this. So, so we are pushing super hard and super fast to make all that happen. We're doing a lot of things behind the scenes, um, <clears throat> organizing all the different episodes and everything that needs to happen to make the, an editor's job a lot easier. And we're still filming season two and, you know, doing our own genetics. So that, we didn't even talk about that. We're, we made a bunch of genetics last year. So, um, 
that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, so we're hoping November to the first of the year uh, for a launch. So, but you'll be one of the first to know, of course, I'll let you know so you can update your audience. I'm super excited, man. Thanks. That, that's that's one hell of a way to uh, to close out 2021, to bounce back from 2020. Wow. Yes. That's how it's That's done. right. So Ryan, for, for people who might want to reach out to you, connect with you, um, what's the best way to, to for them to find you and, and reach out? You can find us through our uh, TV show, Instagram page. Uh, most everyone has Instagram. So we're under Hemp Valley, Colorado on Instagram. We're also Hemp Valley, Colorado on Facebook. You can also look at our farm too. We have a farm page too, which is Colorado Valley Hemp on Instagram and Colorado Valley Hemp on Facebook. Um, but I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Ryan McKeever, just me. Um, <clears throat> that's pretty much it. You know, just the the social media stuff through our through our channels. Uh, and um, you know, we're we're getting back on the posting, keeping things updated on uh, social media. It's been just crazy bonkers traveling all over the country now. Season two, which is something that you don't think you don't think about like when we filmed season one it was all here right it was all within you know an hour two to two hour drive now we're filming in miami or north carolina or virginia or indiana or wherever and it is an ordeal so it's like a four or five day thing right so it's it's a lot more time away from you know our core uh, core priorities so so yeah just kind of Part of the journey. <laughs> Good things to come, Thanks. man. Well, hey, listen, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out. I know you got a lot going on, but we appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. Um, and I'm just super grateful that our, our paths crossed. Thank so, you. Ryan, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. We, we really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Perfect. All right, guys, that is it for this episode. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodConX. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at the TalkingHedgePodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.